0: All right, Bowtied Silverback, welcome to Mind of a Lion. Thanks for jumping on today. Uh, Before we dive in, I just want to mention your Substack, which is below bowtiedsilverback.substack.com, covering operational security, personal security, offline and online for us pseudo-anons and aspiring sovereign individuals. Um, We'll share out the link, but definitely subscribe to Silverback Substack when you get a chance. Uh, Silverback, we were just talking offline about uh, the playing cards, and those just came in. So, kind of, if listeners not familiar, it's a full card deck that's got a bunch of different bow tied animals. You got Bull, Silverback, Ox is the Jack, Rafiki's the King, Sponge, maybe three or four. Uh, shared a photo today on your Twitter, Silverback. Love it. Uh, kind of, what was your first reaction when you got the deck of cards?
1: Oh, I mean, they're 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 absolutely amazing. Um, you know, I you and I spoke via DM briefly that I, I actually collect uh, vintage and rare casino decks. Um, you know, I, I've got about a five hundred decks stacked up in my office. This uh, silverback is is not thrilled, by the way. Um, right. and, 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 and these are just, these are amazing. You you absolutely nailed it. Um, you know. I, these are going to be Christmas gifts for some of my nearest and dear friends. Uh, and, you know, for people that are actually interested in cards, uh, the quality is, is top notch. For those uh, kind of
0: not familiar, what's the what is an office full of playing card decks from decades ago look like? Like I'm looking for a picture in my mind. Messy. <laughs> of course of course
1: so i've got you know the i've got a few that are actually in display boxes um there's, you know there's one or two decks that you know they don't make anymore, more and and for whatever reason people became interested in them they're you know they're worth you know a few hundred dollars um but for the most part it's just it's for my own enjoyment you know some people collect uh postage stamps some people collect baseball cards um you know, back in the day, uh, my son, young Howler Monkey, collected Pokemon cards, and so it's it's just something that uh, I've always enjoyed. Uh, fairly early in life, I got interested in the the old time, you know, gambling cheats uh, and sleight of hand, and it just it just kind of spun out from there. So I, you know, I've actually tried a couple bottom deals and uh, dealing seconds with with your deck. Uh, and it works great <laughs> for anyone who's interested. Well, it's great to know
0: the, uh, the bow tie playing card deck can be used to uh, uh, be a complete degenerate.
1: Do, that. Yeah, do Do not cheat your friends at poker. But if you were going <laughs> to, these cards work great.
0: Uh, Silverback, have you uh, seen, what was it, uh, Green Zone with Matt Damon about the, well, the Green Zone in like, Baghdad during the Iraq War, with the movie?
1: I have, but it's been uh, a very long time.
0: Uh, anyways, uh, so in the movie, the, the soldiers, American soldiers in Iraq, they have a deck of cards. And oh, yeah.
1: Each I'm familiar. Plan,
0: yes. Each playing card corresponds to a different high-value target. Yeah. So I think it was the Jack of Clubs that they, you know, they were looking at, and they're like, huh, this guy we saw in the house looks like the Jack of Clubs. So that's kind of where I got some inspiration for, hmm, and of course, Ox is the jack because that came to mind. And Rafiki is the king because he made the, the Genimals NFC collection. Uh, I definitely look forward to like, oh, here's my playing card deck. And uh, I'm looking for pocket tens, but really I'm looking for this animal. And uh, and then I was rambling and, and getting to uh, Dark Knight with Heath Ledger. Uh, and there's, there's a scene he comes out and he like whips out a playing card and forget what it says but it's just kind of like a fun gimmick like hmm what if I just start dropping like bow tied animals slipping the playing cards in random places and no one will understand the context right now.
1: I, I genuinely yet. I genuinely want to go around to all of my, my local banks um, <laughs> and just drop those cards uh, at the teller windows uh, because I think that that's just going to be amazing. It, 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 it may be the best troll yet. <laughs> photos in uh photos out in the out in the field of uh laying
0: easter eggs around town in the form of play uh bow tie cards good stuff uh so diving into your uh your sub stack and you kind of your background so your first article deals with more of that offline physical security for your home for listeners not familiar you mentioned op- threat modeling opportunistic attacks like someone finds your, your house is unlocked so they can just walk in versus a targeted attack. They're looking for you maybe because they know you got a lot of money or crypto or whatever. Um, you mentioned using motion lights, having dogs. So I'm curious without, without getting too personal or doxing yourself, how did you kind of select your home where you would situate your family for, for years to come? And, and for me, a younger guy, like I'm, I'm kind of thinking like I know Bulldog, Turkey, they're out in the mountains, in the Rockies, like how to kind of set up that family compound uh, from the start.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, and for, you know, any listener that might be interested, I, I'm, I'll give you a little bit of a background. Um, this all really spun about from some early conversations between Mr. Ox, Mr. Platypus, and myself. Um, you know, I think it was almost, a mu- you know, over a month ago, there were, I, at the time, I believe less than, than 50 animals in the jungle. Um, and it was actually uh, Platy that gave me the idea. He was concerned that some of the younger animals were perhaps putting themselves at risk. They were putting out way too much information for a pseudo-anon account. Uh, they're, they're linking their wallets uh, where someone could potentially easily see either their transactions or the size of their bag. And, and they were just flexing in general. Right. Um, and he was, he was genuinely concerned.
0: They were being and, clowns.
1: Yeah, I, I don't want to call them clowns. They were okay. Uh, putting, okay. Out, putting out more information than perhaps was necessary.
0: Okay. okay. Uh,
1: and I thought that this was perhaps where where I could add a little bit of value. Uh, I'm an old guy. Uh, I am an absolute uh, noob when it comes to cryptocurrency, decentralized finance. I, I'm learning so much from from you younger guys. Um, but this is some uh, subject that I had a little knowledge in. Um, and it's also a personal interest of mine. So I thought this is this is the way I could contribute. Um, what I what I want to make clear is I absolutely do not want to oversell my credentials in, in this area at all. Uh, I had a fairly brief and relatively uneventful career in military intelligence. Uh, my current role involves- Now, hold up, hold up there, Silverback. As, as someone who may or may not have a
0: clearance, I don't think the word military and intelligence ever go in the same sentence.
1: Well, it's it's an oxymoron. It's kind of like Jumbo <laughs> <laughs> uh, What were you saying before I- uh... Oh, I was gonna say, you know, and, and my current role um, involves some monitoring and, invest- and investigations for my organizations. Um, I'm Really, I'm, I'm just very lucky in that i've maintained some close friendships with active and retired military and and active and retired leos um well no wait you're lying uh active and retired law enforcement officers law enforcement so i mean and if you really really want to see paranoid uh sit around drinking with a bunch of old old cops um so i when i what's that like i mean uh, just that?
0: shooting shooting the shit with some retired uh, Leos or, or law enforcement. What, just looking for a picture in my mind what that might look like, feel like.
1: Uh, grumpy old dudes um, complaining incessantly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know we 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 do talk about stuff like you know I I don't want uh, my wife's school or or my kid's school to 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 know my address. Um, why is that car driving by my house all the time? You know, that kind of stuff. Uh, like I said, they're, they're, they're a very old paranoid bunch. Um, but as you know, the benefit was, as I'm kind of jotting down these ideas, uh, for, uh, tweet threads or whatever, I was able to, to run some ideas by them, get their feedback. Um, You know, I'm also really good friends with the Chief Information Security Officer at, at my current organization. Uh, he and I'll grab a couple of beers or grab lunch a couple times a week. He knows that I'm very much interested in information security, um, and you know what we found out together is that his team, while they're they're very sharp in the IT department, uh, they've got some significant blind spots as it relates to things like physical security and social engineering, and so. You know, we're able to talk shop, uh, share some ideas, but as I said, I, I, I don't want to overstate my credentials in any way. Um, everything in my sub stack is meant to be a very entry-level, 101 type uh, information for folks that might be interested in the subject. There's literally libraries that are written on, on every single sub stack if people are interested.
0: Where does that sense of you mentioned paranoia, but, you know, whether it's, you know, justified or not. Where is that coming from in these mainly retired or former you know, law enforcement, uh, military, intelligence background people?
1: Sure. So I, you know, the, a great example is I currently live in a in a fairly rural community, uh, adjacent to a a very large uh, West Coast city. Um, and if you're a retired cop you don't want to run into the guy that you put away for 10 years at your local Walmart. Right. Um, I have a a, a good friend who is now who put their full 20 in and they're, they're now retired military intelligence. Uh, and they were a victim of the, the LinkedIn hack. So all of their personal information, uh, is, is now out there on the web. Uh, and they're, they're not happy about it. Um, and it's just about, you know, it's that threat model, right? If you're in a job where uh, you're working for the military, for the government, in law enforcement, it, there are people that just won't like you based on what you did for a living. Um, and, you know, you absolutely have to take steps to protect yourself and your family. And it's not about being paranoid, it's about just being proactive and making sure that you and your family are, are, are safe.
0: In your, uh, in your Substack article on levels of personal security, uh, unless not familiar, you have, we'll say four or three levels. Basic, for most people who are not trying to be anonymous, you've got the jungle animal level. You want to be pseudo anonymous and secure their, what's probably mostly crypto money and their privacy. And then level three, degen autists, people high net worth, Maybe they're in the intelligence community, people who might be specifically targeted because they have valuable information um, and their communication should stay encrypted for the most part. It, how, is, how is this need or the, the sense of having to secure yourself online changed in the last 20 years? And really the, the birth and growth of internet, um, social media in the last 10 years. I'm, I'm trying to get because I was so young then, kind of a, a visualization of what this, how this threat or the need for OPSEC has evolved. Well, the need for
1: OPSEC has existed forever. Offline. I mean, you know, going back to, to Caesar, to the, to the Napoleonic Wars online, it's recently become an issue, um, you know, 20, 30 years ago, Facebook didn't exist. Twitter didn't exist. Instagram didn't exist. Uh, if you had a cell phone, you could use it to, to make phone calls, and that's about it. Uh, but now we have, uh, you know, our entire lives are online, it, you know, it, for someone who's, who's really willing to, to dig and look into it. Um, so it's, it, it has absolutely evolved. Um I was I was going to talk to, talk about this a little bit later if you wanted to just kind of get into my personal background, but yeah, um, absolutely, yeah, yeah. In my in, in my mid thirties, um, I don't know. Can I can I swear on this podcast, or is, are we kidding PG <laughs> thirteen? Uh, uh, this is this uh, is an eighteen plus, uh, uh, maternities only. In my, in my mid thirties, I got a, a wild hair up my ass and and went back to law school. Um, and I had never (laughs) had a Facebook (laughs) account. I had never had a Facebook account. Um, but when I went to law school, I had to have one because so many of our, our classes and our studies group, uh, groups created, uh, Facebook groups to interact. So I I had to sign up for Facebook. Um, and that was really weird for me. Um, and so, you know, it, 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 it morphs. Um, I, I talked a little bit about, you know, back in the day, and by back in the day, I mean the 80s. Um, you know, you wanted your name in, in the phone book, in the white pages. Um, but now, your entire life can be put out online. And I, my goal is just, I want people to be smart. I want them to be safe. Uh, I don't want them to be uh, to post stuff that could potentially uh, put them and their families in, in danger.
0: Is it almost a inversion where because so much has defaulted to being online internet, now it's, it's more so subtraction. You, you've got to fight to get things off versus for the internet, you had to fight to get things out there, like in a Yellow Pages or a mailing list.
1: Oh, absolutely. 100%.
0: You mentioned uh, what we were discussing offline, the, the Dunning-Kruger effect. Uh, so for listeners not familiar, it's kind of, if you graph competence versus confidence, you get a cup and handle shape. And those who know the least are generally pretty confident and and the more, you know, the more you realize you don't know. And it, and Silverback, you always mentioned the discord chats or, or whatnot. always use a tagline like, Oh, it's, uh, I'm not going to oversell myself for an old ape, blah, blah, blah. And I find, I mean, there's Dingo, Puppy. There's this general sense of humility in many people in the jungle that there's so many high caliber people putting out content sharing value that we feel like sometimes we can't keep up. Is that resonating with you?
1: Oh, no, absolutely. And, and, and I think the, I think a sense of humility is is a sign of, you know, absolute one, confidence, uh, and, and two, knowledge. Uh, the person who is exceptionally arrogant uh, or, or, or talks the loudest in the room it, it is typically the person who knows the less or, or knows the least. Um, you know, I will say there's this fascinating dichotomy uh, a, as I've gotten older, um, and this is, you know, sample size equals one, so take it for whatever it's worth, but on one hand, I am more confident than I have ever been. I, I know what I've done. I know what I know. I know what I bring to the table. Um, and to be perfectly frank, if you're not a, a close friend or a family member, I really don't give a shit what you think about me. Hell yeah. Uh, on the other side, I have never been more humble than I am now. Uh, I am keenly aware of of how much I do not know and and how much that I I have the opportunity to learn uh, from you younger animals.
0: Does it, to make an analogy, is the, what is like a 20-something year old who's Let's say right now they're getting in crypto, DeFi, you know, this, this decentralization, separation of money and state, yada, yada. What, is, what did that demographic seem like in the birth of the Internet 20 years ago? Is it the same? Is it a similar mindset or
1: is it, is it a different? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to so, get a feel for what. Yeah, you know, that's, that, 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 that's a great question. Um, and l- let me touch on the generational thing first and then we'll talk about um, the the 90s and the, the internet first rolling out. Uh, you know first I want to say that I'm actually very skeptical of that whole millennial versus generation X versus boomer thing um, I think that, 20-year-olds are gonna act like 20 year olds. Middle-aged dudes are, are are gonna act like middle-aged dudes, and us old guys are we're gonna act like old guys. Um this hasn't changed. Uh I'm old enough to remember when you know eight my company would bring in HR consultants to give presentations on how to integrate Gen X into the workplace. I we were we were the Gen sl- X run the workplace now. <laughs> we were the we were the original slackers after all um <laughs> and, that's and, where we learned it from been, all right they've been making money off this dick for decades uh nothing's really changed i think maybe they update their slide decks every 10 to 20 years but that's about it <laughs> i mean if you, if you go back 2000 years you've got socrates and he's complaining about the youth of athens and I, I'm going to do my best to, to quote him verbatim, uh, but he's talking about the children now love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority. They show disrespect for their elders and chatter out of place. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're now the tyrants of their home, not the servants. Um, <laughs> that sounds they contradict their parents. They and, and forgive me, Barbary, does, does any of this sound familiar at all? Uh,
0: all of it sounds familiar.
1: <laughs> you, could, you could place my name or
0: some of my other uh, friends and family names, and you get the same story. Yeah, so I, I,
1: I think, if anything, um, in general, over the last 2,000 years, younger people have a degree of contempt for old guys like me because we are old and out of touch. Uh, dinosaurs, if you will. Uh, you know. On, in, in, on my Twitter thing, I, I talk about uh, DB80, don't be a dinosaur. DB80, uh, <laughs> don't be a dinosaur. I, I, it, I absolutely know that's how 21-year-old Silverback felt. Uh, and these a change in guys, version? Oh, go ahead. What's that? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, uh, us old guys have got this contempt for younger people because maybe they are inexperienced or sometimes immature. Uh, but if both groups realized how much they could actually learn from one another, uh, we'd all be so much better off. Is that pattern across
0: generations? Is it young people being more risk or what's the word? Older generations risk-averse and younger generations more apt to taking risk? Or is there – I'm trying to look for a way to simply describe such a complex phenomenon.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's part of it. And, and, and that's a good thing, right? If you are uh, 20 years old, 30 years old, single without kids, you should be levering up on risk. Absolutely. Uh, if You know, if, if 23-year-old Silverback, quote-unquote, lost it all one day, he'd be out a couple grand and maybe a ton. Um, you, you're, you're never going to have that opportunity again to, to, to make mistakes. So yeah, go, go all in when you're young, by all means.
0: Asymmetric payoff. Is so, Bitcoin and crypto as a whole, it seems to be what they call an asymmetric payoff, where you're either going to lose 100% of your investment or you're going to make 10,000%, 100,000%. Like you lose 1x, you gain 100x.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, one I, or the for, other. There's the no in between. Part, I, don't, I don't think you're going to lose 100%. Sure. And in, in, in very rare situations, unless you were a super early adopter, I don't know that you're going to gain a thousand percent. Um, but I will tell you that it, that it looks, feels, and smells a whole lot like the internet in the nineties. That's where I was going to go next. Uh, and Mark Cuban, of course,
0: talks about this a day after his uh, getting rug pulled in DeFi. What are the parallels? <laughs> like what, what was the vibe? Like right now, everyone 18, even younger, they've got a Robin hood account now and they're day trading or whatever. They see Dave Portney do it. And they think it's cool. Like it, I mean, you read about the Great Depression where it's like the old adage, if your taxi driver is giving stock tips, it's time to sell. Uh, what was it like on the ground in the, in the 90s, the Internet boom? Uh, the news, <laughs> your friends and family.
1: So this is, a, this is an over-18 podcast, right?
0: Absolutely. All
1: right. So I, I started my first job after the military out of college uh, at Morgan Stanley. And this was around 1996. So this was right after Netscape IPO. I think that AOL IPO around 92, but Netscape was the real game changer. Um, I mean, the the company hadn't even turned a profit yet. And by the end of the first day trading, it was worth almost $3 billion. Uh, maybe today it's not unusual for companies to go public before they're profitable, but back in the nineties, that was almost unheard of.
0: Before Sa- Starbucks and the Enron, a lot more companies oh, went.
1: Way before that, way before that, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, You know, returns on internet stocks, they, they were nuts. Uh, people were doubling their investment in a year's time, which again, uh, may not be, completely unusual today, but was absolutely unheard of at the time. Um, From what, 95 to 2000, I think the NASDAQ was up over 4,000 or 400%. There were several companies that actually legally changed their name to include the word dot com just to increase their market share. It was nuts. (laughs) Uh, Traditional valuation, the 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 warren buffett model was completely out the window uh people were gonna invest in any company and it it, it didn't matter what the company did as long as it was involved in the uh the internet or the dot-com arena um if you look at you know one year 1999 qualcomm was up over 2000 um what also happened and you mentioned earlier which is a great parallel um average middle-class Americans were investing in stocks uh for the first time at, at an unprecedented level. So retail um, came in. Yeah, they well, got out of mutual they,
0: funds. This is where the term day
1: trading was coined, right?
0: Okay.
1: I mean, prior to that, we, we, we all had our 401ks and we invested in our mutual funds and blah, 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 blah. But People were investing in individual equities uh, for the first time ever at, at, at a rate that you, you, you couldn't imagine today. Um, hell, Morgan Stanley, when I was there, we even lowered our minimum on trading accounts just to bring more people in. We were, we were more than the minimum to take their money. When, they, when, they can, uh, they really when I first started for a trading account, uh, it was $5,000, which... In 2021, a good it sounded like a lot of money. Yeah, 30, Twenty-five uh, grand. In 20 1996, you know, it was, yeah, a, car. It was a threshold. Yeah. That dropped to
0: $500. There you go.
1: And so, uh, absolutely, uh, you know, my friends uh, and I, we were the young, green brokers. Uh, and we were convinced, we were geniuses. Uh, we're, we're getting paid to make our clients rich. Uh, and as an old ape, I will say that was probably the biggest lesson to me after the the bubble crash, um, which is never confuse a bull market for your own intellect.
0: Everyone's a genius in a bull market.
1: yeah um uh, absolutely and and we all thought we were geniuses um and then the the bubble crashed, and we realized well no we're we're still kind of idiots. Um, but the takeaway from this was despite all the speculation, all the so-called bubbles, it really did change the world. It was a true industry disruptor. Uh, it it changed how we do business, how we communicate with each other. Um, we socialize and we travel. We socialize. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I mean, it. It's really hard to believe that, you know, at the time, there were a lot of people, a lot of smart people who thought the Internet was, quote unquote, a fad. Um, and so, you know, people made a lot of money. Some people lost a lot of money, but it really did change the world. And, and to me, as, a, as an old ape, that's absolutely what this feels like right now. The, we are, in fact, changing the world. One block at a time.
0: A on one shift post at a time. <laughs> yeah. History rhymes, of course. How did? And I'm sure a few people, did, of course, Mark Cuban, the example of the d Bull yesterday. He somehow sold all of Yahoo stock at the top in what 99
2: 2000. Mark seeing did how well for himself,
0: right? He did do well for himself. Uh, seeing how the, the dot com bubble. Ended. What is a way, a theory, a guess onto how the current crypto bubble and everything bubble might pop? Like, what is what is an avenue or a set of events that could kind of um, induce that?
1: You know, I I, I don't know that I call it a bubble to be
0: honest. Um,
1: and, and I say it probably, in, a,
0: in a good way. Every yeah, disruption it, technology has a bubble.
1: And, and, you know, I, I think one of my my first tweets as a, a bow-tied animal in the jungle was was talking about realizing some, some industry disruptions throughout my life that occurred and saying that, um, you know, if you're really, really lucky, you might have one or two of these in your lifetime and you need to capitalize on it. Um, you know, I was... Uh, a user of cryptocurrency way before I was an investor. And, and there was just something about this idea of a, of a decentralized currency that's not controlled by any bank, it's not controlled by any government. It, it, it really spoke to the libertarian. in Right, um, so coming
0: from that libertarian mindset, what, what specifically about sovereign money money that is outside that is a separation of money and state kind of drew you in like, well,
1: no, great question. uh,
0: (laughs) Stopping
2: in. Uh,
0: Welcome
1: Sponge. What's Uh,
0: up,
2: Barb? What's up, Silverback?
1: Mr. Sponge. How are you, sir?
2: Oh, dude, I'm absorbing all this. I'm ready to go. So Silverback, what got
0: you into that, into, into the rabbit hole of, of internet money, that separation of money and state, that libertarian drop, what, I'm trying to get a picture in my mind here. What does that so, look like? So again,
1: old ape. Um, trad- Johnny Kruger fi, effect. tradfi guy uh, for the last, what? Uh, two, almost three decades. Um, I was a user way before I was an investor. Um, I love the idea of, of, a, of a currency or an asset that wasn't controlled by a government or a bank. Um, and once I started thinking about it as an asset, uh, that's when I got really intrigued. And I'm, I'm, I'm an, I I'm look like a shaved ape. I, I am an old knuckle-dragger. Um, but I also read everything I can get my hands on. So once I started seeing this as an asset that could be in, invested in, um, I went down that rabbit hole. And I started seeing things like blockchain, smart contracts, the ability to move capital seamlessly around the world without a middleman. Um, And I apologize if I'm being redundant, but these are things that are going to literally change the world that we live in. Um, And right now, in in my opinion, uh, as an old guy, as a Luddite, uh, we're only in the AOL and Netscape phase of this game. We're helping to build the underlying infrastructure. Uh, The future applications absolutely blow my mind. Uh, The DeFi, Google's, Amazon's, they haven't even been invented yet. Uh, That said, said, I I suspect that, you know, young guys like y'all and Mr. Robin probably have some pretty good ideas about the direction this needs to go um but this is in the infancy stage this is this is aol this is my space
2: yeah no that, that's the part that's really amazing about all of this the fact that like you know if you looked at google you know maybe you know 20 years ago I was google even a thing 20 years ago maybe it was but uh you know in the early days you know it was a simple search engine right and you wouldn't think to yourself that that's going to be all that powerful, right? You look at it and you say, oh, okay, I want to look up, you know, cat pictures, you know, and then you type in, you know, <laughs> cat pictures, cat videos, right? It's like, okay, that, that's, what, that's what's going to pop up. And and you think to yourself, oh, okay, well, that's all it's going to be. And then, you know, you know, fast forward 10 years and it ate the entire advertising industry. It's wrapping up all of telecommunications period and you know it's controlling even political discourse because it was able to eat up all of the aggregation of information more generally right and so the fact that you know crypto is and it's funny too because like if we were to view technologies as having a politics to some degree like we've had a, a series of highly centralized highly authoritarian technologies Like Google as a search engine is an authoritarian technology because it relies on a single arbiter, a single set of centralized controls to search through a thing, right? As opposed to more open source system or through a more decentralized network, which is actually what we're going to. So like for the first time in a long time, we actually have technological evolutions that are in their character, libertarian isn't any centralized
0: power that determines what is true, and what is not authoritarian,
2: isn't that playing God? Yeah, absolutely. It has to be like, it has no choice. I mean, I, I think that that's the other thing too. I think that people and technologies and governments even are a lot more shaped by their environments and by the tools that are available to them. You know, it's like what, what, what Marshall McLuhan said, uh, that the medium is the message, right? I, th- I think that that applies very heavily here. Medium is a message. Silverback, the
0: the guys you, you know, you'll have a beer with who were out of the game, whether it's intelligence, law enforcement, et cetera, are any of them exploring cryptocurrency, or at least do they have a formed opinion on this landscape?
1: Oh, it's it it is crazy. Um, you know, I last weekend i went I went to two events. One was uh, a a birthday party for. Uh, a friend of of young howler monkeys where the dads were hanging out talking. Uh, The other one was a friend's uh, 50th birthday party. Creo came up every time. And, And there were really two stages of thought. One was, this is awesome. Let's talk about it. How do I get more involved? And the other was, well i don't know uh you know i was i was reading an article or cnn said that you know crypto is used by by drug dealers and terrorists blah 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 um and and what i really tried to do was just almost set the record straight right um and i I would tell them like well in the 80s they said the same thing about bearer bonds and they became illegal. And for any of your listeners that don't know what bearer bonds are, just Google it. Um,
2: <laughs>
1: but it came Those are crown
2: red bulls, right? Wait, bearer bear who?
1: Yeah, right, exactly. Um, but it came down to, oh, this is something that a, a government or a bank can't track and control. So we don't like it, therefore choose by criminals. Uh, the same thing with $1,000 bills, $500 bills. They started out with, oh, well, these are used by drug dealers. Um, so they're bad and we have to get rid of them. And it, again, it was, well, no, this allows individuals to accumulate and transfer a significant sum of money uh, w- w- without government control. I, I'm an old banker, uh, even though banks are zeros, but I'm an old banker. Uh, we used to, we have a thing called a currency transaction report, where if you try to withdraw or deposit more than $10,000 in cash, uh, we, we've got to fill out a form and send it to the U S treasury to say that, uh, Jimmy Barbary, uh, had more than $10,000 in cash and, and, and God forbid, if you try to leave the country with, with more than that in currency, um, and so, with these uh, with these older vets, with these older cops, what I try to talk to them about is, you know, this is about control. You want to know what drug dealers and terrorists really, really like? It's cash, U.S. dollar. Yeah. No one's talking about that. If, if you doubt me, roll up on the corner to your local crack dealer and, and ask him if they accept Ethereum and what their wallet is. Um. You, you may, well, or may I, not I don't know shot. about
2: I don't know about yours and mine keeps up with the times
1: <laughs> <laughs> well I'm old but <laughs> you know the, the the mask that a lot of folks my age are seeing is oh well it's it's for drug dealers and terrorists no it's not but that's the narrative because the government or a bank can't control it um And I I may or may not have gotten a few converts out of it. Uh, Mrs. Silverback just rolls her eyes and walks away. We'll see what happens. (laughs) But I I do know of at least one retired cop that just bought his first uh, hardware wallet. So I'm a happy camper.
2: Good Good stuff. Yeah, no, Silverback's 100% right about that. The government controls everybody on a very local level by controlling both your mobility and your ability to take your funds with you. They will like it very much when your funds are places where they can turn the switches on and off if you do things they don't like, you know, and they don't remind you about things like the fact that, you know, if a state government, for example, can you know almost unilaterally pull money out of any bank account if it just, you know, issues uh, an order that's approved by a judge, Right. Uh, that happened in in New Jersey to the um, Attila's gym. There was that that gym that was staying open during the COVID lockdowns and they had kept $140,000 for for their legal defense in in a fund in in the bank. And they had refused to pay the fines as was their right until the judge, you know, ordered them to do so, which, you know, they hadn't gotten to the Supreme court yet. So they didn't actually have to follow through on it. Um, And uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, they, uh, they just took the money straight out of bank account, wiped out the legal defense fund just because they could. And that's how they yeah, want I mean, me to be. They want you to be at their mercy.
1: I absolutely do not want to get conspiracy theorists uh, on your podcast. Um, you know, I, I'm not someone who is you know, about conspiracies and the government is out to get you. But you know, my, my law degree, the emphasis is in tax law. And I, I, had a lot of friends ask me, you know, why are you studying tax? Tax is boring shit. Um, and my answer was, was because the IRS scares the shit out of me. Yep. Um, they could just take it. Yeah. There. Yeah. They and they literally can. I as a banker, I could see liens being put on people's accounts, and that that was the end of it. Your your money's gone. The IRS said no. Um, And that's that's terrifying to me. So I I want to get more versed in tax law. Uh, In the United States, uh, for our international listeners, there are only two crimes that the U.S. government has deemed so horrific, so terrible, that there is no statute of limitations on. One of those is murder. The second is tax evasion. (laughs) <laughs> of course,
0: Perfect. there's that scene from Breaking Bad, or maybe it's better called Saul uh Breaking Bad. And if uh, you haven't seen the show, show about the meth. De- great show, meth dealers, well, Jesse Pinkman, the, the protege meth dealer, he's in the salon where they're laundering money. And Saul Goodman, the lawyer, rolls in. And he goes, Jesse, what, what do you think the government thinks when they see a young guy like you driving around in a nice car, throwing around money? And Jesse goes, they think I'm a drug dealer? Jimmy goes, no, even worse,
2: you're a tax cheat. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, uh, a lot of the time that has to be the case. And the funny thing is like, you know, there are creative ways to lower your tax burden too, you know, and that's why it's important, for example, to, you know, unless, you know, you have to work for some sort of large corporation by the nature of your profession. If you can, you know, be independent in any way and have your own small business, there's a million and one ways to make sure you have a lower tax burden. I think like this year, my effective tax rate was around like ten percent, right? And, oh, for sure. And, and if you
1: right. own your own business, you've got way more uh, flexibility. than If you're a W two employee, um, you know we 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 have an animal in the jungle, Patrick, that. Oh, yeah. Patrick came
2: on my podcast. We're going to be releasing that soon. He's awesome.
1: As as an old CFP, um, as a a non-practicing tax attorney, I can can absolutely confirm Patrick is 100% legit. Um, He's got great information. But yeah, if you're... um, owning your own business um, or, 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 or running a couple of businesses, you have way more flexibility and options than if you're a W2 employee. Um, and you know, that was uh, one of the general principles that I, I almost, I, I really wanted to talk about uh, on this podcast in terms of, of personal security, which was you know, just don't stand out. You don't need to post pictures of your Lamborghini or your Rolex uh, on Instagram. Um, Keep keep yourself at an even keel so you don't attract unnecessary attention or attention that you may not want. I apologize if I hijacked the conversation and brought it back to personal security.
2: No, that's actually really important. I mean, because like, that's something we're going to be struggling with. And, I mean, I want to get your take on something silverback. And uh, I, maybe I'll make this public a little bit sooner than before. Uh, but uh, I'm not going to tweet about this too much. So, you know, people have to listen all the way, like 45 minutes into Barb's podcast to get this information. But one of the projects that I'm thinking about doing in the next while is to start getting some coordinated lobbying efforts out of the jungle, right? Right. Um, And I tweeted a thread that I think you've retweeted a little little bit back um, about how a a little bit about. how I
1: absolutely did. I know know where you're going with this for sure.
2: Yeah, because because I because I I think I think that it's kind of ridiculous that we would all just sit back and let, let the clown banks make the rules for everything. Right. When it comes to tax laws, when it comes to crypto disclosures, when it comes to all those things. So, you know, if we had some people that were able to push back a little bit, you know, I feel like that'd be good. At least influence someone, and slow them down, because that'll save us a lot of money. If we can even just slow them down, that would be a lot. Um, Something I want to comment on though, I want to get your take on. uh, How do you actually balance that with your own security? Right? Because if we actually do start you know, making moves like this, we would actually probably have to use our legal names when we're communicating with these politicians. Um, how do we ensure that there isn't retribution? That's tough.
1: Um, and you know, uh, to my knowledge, at, at least where I live, uh, there's, there's not a good answer. Um, you do have to use your legal name. Um, it becomes a matter of public record uh, what you have donated to um it, it and it gets you know it, it gets really difficult um that said I think it's absolutely imperative to get more involved in this um you know I, I I'm an old guy I just, I just want to be left alone to be honest um but you know as as someone smarter than me once said that if you're not interested in politics at some point politics will take interest in you um well said well said so you know well i again someone smarter than me said it so corporate um,
0: mock if you're not familiar the, the account the guy who's dying of a terminal illness allegedly uh tweets about machiavellianism and stuff but he goes saying uh you're above politics and you stay out of politics is a privilege and that privilege is going away like now like even if you try to avoid politics it's it's coming after you, I whether think, it's COVID I mean, stuff or... I think, yeah. I think
2: we, we can draw the line on avoiding to some degree the, the, the petty partisanship, but I, I think, I mean, I view any involvement that we would have in politics akin to an insurance policy, right? I mean, you could
1: theoretically create a, a PAC, a political action committee, uh, and then all, do- all donations would be routed through them and someone would have to dig a lot deeper to 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 find out who you were uh, versus you know donating individually to a candidate.
2: Right.
1: Um, but that, that
2: that's something I've actually managed before too. So I've run a pack
1: yeah, but, in the past. But it's it's if, if you decide to get involved in, in politics and and the old ape was very involved in politics in his early twenties. He was very passionate. Um, but you 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 do not uh, ha- have any anonymity at all? It, it it's all very forward facing, um. But yeah, you can create a pack, you can create a nonprofit, and at at the very least, people will have to dig through a couple of extra layers. But you you won't have any privacy or anonymity for sure.
2: Yeah, I mean, so, so we can approach this from two different perspectives, right? Because if we're, because I hear, because I think, I think the way where we could maintain at least some security is by the fact that we're being diffuse. I think maybe, you know, creating a pact might actually open us up to some sort of attack much more easily than if we were individual people coordinating, you know, somewhat secretly that then just, you know, targeted a handful of politicians to just persuade them on a very kind one-on-one level, just, you know, show uh, uh, show up to one of their parties, donate a couple thousand bucks, you know, have a conversation and just be like, hey, XYZ about crypto, just so you know, it really isn't, you know, uh, tax evaders only and drug dealers only. It's also people no, I, who are just, just liberty-minded. And, yeah, I think that, that, you know,
1: I think that's absolutely fair. Um, And, you know, Barbary, I, I think it was Barbary that, you know, created that Substack where make a few donations, go to a few dinners. You don't have to say I'm donating to you because I want you to support cryptocurrency or, or, or decentralized finance, you just donate. And then when you show up to the dinner, uh, that's where you have the conversation. Um, the only charity either way of doing is anonymous charity. At
0: the end of the day, if, if your identity is known with the charitable donation, it's virtue signaling in some
2: capacity. I mean, this um, isn't even charity at this point. It's just, you know, a security policy, right? Because I'm going to pause
0: real quick sponge, do a radio yeah. check with Cayman. Ah, uh, Cayman.
3: Hey, y'all. We good? Hey, Cayman.
0: Right. Uh, the listeners all? not familiar. Kamen is. Uh, he's got a background as a Leo, um, as his dad you? calls him, law enforcement. <laughs> and, uh,
3: dad. Oh
0: my god! Thanks for jumping on, Cayman. Uh, like just like Big real West, quick, Cayman.
1: in. school. Um,
2: Go ahead.
0: Go ahead. David, so what's, uh, what's your thoughts? I mean, you've been uh, listening in the last few minutes. Um, oh, what's kind well, of the perspective? A
3: very interesting. I, I didn't know that Silverback would, also had an uh, experience in law enforcement. I kind of right. gathered no. oh, from his diction he was uh, probably rookie, a veteran. Yeah. No, but
1: no law enforcement background, just uh, legal background.
3: Gotcha, partner. And
1: military intelligence as well. Word. I, I yeah I, well the, the nice thing about the jungle is everyone here is incredibly humble and undersells themselves so I absolutely do not want to overstate my credentials
3: uh. And <laughs> eh, no no for sure um, I'll let you guys know right up now the the only things I know about in life are a little bit of law enforcement I wasn't on the street for too long just a couple years. I uh, know a little bit about construction management and uh, from side gigs, a little bit of private investigation. That's my forte.
0: What's the general, I, I'm trying to get a, a read on the mindset of And Silverback's talking about people he has drinks with, former Leos, former military, et cetera. What do these, these, these older crowd or experienced crowds think of Bitcoin and de- decentralization in the context of civil liberties? Like, do they see it as a weapon against it or as a tool? Uh, I'm just trying to get a, a picture in my mind.
3: Well, I will say that my experience with law enforcement officers are typically of the small town variety or the very large city variety. So you're thinking of a force of between maybe 20 dudes or you know several thousand. And I think that the culture gap between small departments and huge departments is much less than their culture gap between uh, small departments and big departments against medium-sized cities, maybe say a force of 70 to 150, 200, less than a 1,000 cops. And the reason I say that is in my general experience, cops who work in middle-sized cities are very integrated with their community. While the small town cops and the large city cops are a, uh, looking for a good parallel here. uh, They're a separate class. They're the uh, Cassatrias. They're the Praetorian guard. They stand apart. So with these small town guys and these big city guys who in many cases enjoy a special status within their communities i think that they have a less amenable uh position against uh, bitcoin or crypto in general just because they are in my experience the most caught up in the uh the, the conspiracies that Silverback was mentioning, you know, oh, only fucking drug dealers use it, right, only cops right. use it, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Just bullshit like that. But you get some guys who, like, you know, actually give a shit about civil liberties. And these are much more often to be the more integrated uh, m- medium sized city cops than the big city slickers or the fucking podunk, you know, country cops. If anyone in law enforcement in that culture, and it's a very distinct culture, no matter where you're serving, those guys who you know identify as citizens more so than they identify as law enforcement, those will be the most amenable to crypto and decentralization in general. Cool, interesting. I've been pushing. I think, for, I think came and nailed
1: it right there. That's yeah. if, you, if you're going to record a section. And, and, and put it on Twitter that two minutes
0: put out.
2: 52 53. yes. Yeah, so I my a, notes. I have a question uh, for Kamen too and this is sort of jumping a little bit off of crypto because our, the same community we have here I think is also very much interested in issues of liberty more generally right sure. uh, uh, How do you square uh, the responsibilities that law enforcement officers have had over the last year? Whereas a lot of them, you know, folding under the pressure to enforce a lot of obviously ridiculous orders about COVID lockdowns and depriving people of rights. Whereas like I saw some departments that were like really good about it and they were able to, uh, you know, stand their ground and actually do the right thing. I mean, what sort of pressures do law enforcement officers face and, you know, uh, how do they manage that burden? Since I imagine you probably speak to a bunch of them.
3: Sure. Uh, I actually <laughs> Have an interesting perspective on this. Uh, I just want let I just want to let you guys know I, I've been out of the game for like five, six, seven years now. So my perspective is on current events is only influenced from what I read in the news. I follow the beats. I follow the uh, all the cop blogs, the Facebook private groups, all the cop shit posting avenues, and then you know my in real life friends in various departments within the greater chicago metropolitan area including several within the cpd so chicago uniquely had a issue with uh civil unrest riots all that kind of crap i don't know if you guys were aware but we had the national guard deployed out here for like yeah real or goddamn months it was ridiculous i have all these awesome I have all these awesome photos uh, for my GoPro of being in traffic lights, being stuck at red lights next to Humvees. It, it, it's pretty <laughs> <fucking> bizarre. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I will say that I think Chicago's lockdowns, uh, sucked. They didn't suck any more than usual. Um, the only thing that, uh, <laughs> Honestly, affected me too much was shutting down all the uh, good restaurants, kind of crushed dating life, and then I couldn't even fucking drink off my woes in a bar. I mean,
1: <laughs> right, that's right.
3: Sad. So, yeah, uh <laughs> no,
1: I was I, I was very fortunate in that the the county that that I live in, uh, we had a sheriff that was willing to stand up, and which is really weird for the the left coast. Uh, and he basically said these lockdowns are bullshit. I'm not going to enforce it. Um, that, is that the same happened, thing
3: that happened in one of Chicago's quote unquote, collar counties, the counties yeah, yeah. that, once, once that happened,
1: things opened up. Now you still had local PD that, that, that may or may not be enforcing stuff. So it was, it had a very 1920s speakeasy vibe going on. in some of the restaurants and bars, uh, but, you know, this this guy earned my vote next uh, election cycle just for being willing to stand up and say, you know, this is bullshit and I, we're not going to enforce it.
3: Oh, yeah. For fucking sure. Um, so most of the Chicago bars and restaurants and when honestly, when I think of. The COVID lockdowns, my first thought always goes to entertainment, you know, dining and bars and shit like that. Because, as far as policing civil liberties, that along with traffic stops is what I have the most uh, experience doing. You know, responding to a bar at three a.m., kicking the drunks out, stop and fight, shit like that. So most of the the places shut down. Volunteer years,
1: so I appreciate that.
3: Most of the places shut down voluntarily and were very quiet. I did hear about a couple bar shutdowns, like speakeasy operations, but you know, n- nothing that really hit my radar in a serious way. What, what ended up happening is that just people started throwing private venues at Airbnbs and shit like that. I mean, shit went low to ground really fucking fast, and... Unless, you know, people are pissing off fucking third floor balconies. There's nothing cops can do about to to stop that. So, whatever. People people coped. Uh, One interesting anecdote is there is a very famous uh, scummy dive bar in the city of Chicago that is still 100% on the books owned by the Chicago Mafia. And I'll give you the name of it if you want to DM me. It's a fun place. It's one of the only places left in the city where you can smoke indoors. That's a Midwestern legacy. It's gross. <laughs> it's still cool. But they stayed open the entire lockdown, and no one gave a single solitary fuck about it. And I thought that was awesome. That is that is political grift. In Chicago, we call it juice. I don't know if that's an allusion to you know um, the Jewish faith or not and lawyers, but They had the juice and they fucking drank it. So, yeah, kudos to them. Uh, As far as reconciling responsibilities as a police officer with lockdowns and all that other shit like that, I'm sure you have a ton of guys who were convinced or at least were at the early stages convinced that they were serving a public good. Personally, I think that any destruction of business activity for anything that is less than blatantly life-threatening is complete bullshit. Um, I I really enjoyed and uh, was fortunate in my police service that I was able to reconcile most of everything I did as a police officer with uh, libertarian, freedom-minded sensibilities. Because, you know, if I was – fucking you up. It's because you fuck someone else up and you know, (laughs) broke the NAP as the meme goes or uh, you were on public roads and you know, I can't have you fucking drunk driving.
1: Yeah, and, I, and, I, I I want to buy a came of I'm just... <laughs> well, yeah,
2: and a beer. i and like that part's awesome. I mean the but the thing that like surprised me too was that you know there were a lot of them that went really far the other way. And so, you know if I may oh, yeah.
1: in for, for interrupting
3: but I, I have a I,
1: I have a very specific question for, for, for Mr. Kamen. only because the, this came up with uh, uh, some of the retired or old Leos that I drink with. And they, they've seen a lot of the really high-quality young guys leave. Um, right. And, and, and the recruitment pool um, – frankly, it, at least where I live, because of, you know, defund the police, all cops are bastards, you know, your, your agency is going to turn your back on you if you make a mistake. They're not seeing the quality of recruits. Cayman, are, are you seeing that where you are as well, that just the, the, the quality of the you know, recruits is falling off, or, or are you still seeing, uh, you know, good folks that, that, that want to do the right thing they're applying for the job?
3: Everyone who I knew personally before joining the force is a good guy. However, uh, you know, being on the street of Chicago just as a random civilian walking around, I cannot believe how terrible some of these Chicago recruits are. And I can't even – to be – To be completely honest, I can't tell you if that's a recent thing. Back when I was younger and more naive, I actually tested for the Chicago Police Force. And for those of you not aware, it's a purely lottery, uh, quote-unquote, luck of the draw slash political connection gig. When I sat for the exam in mm, 2012, 2013, I was one of 15,000 applicants. And they were gonna take like a thousand within the uh, first two years after the exam. You know, you'd wait. They call your number up, whatever. Uh, and uh, they appointed a lottery number to each of us. And I scored a, I know I scored a ninety-eight on the exam, the written exam, the, the first step. And my lottery number was fourteen thousand
2: five hundred and two. Yep yeah, yeah no, that,
1: that, that, that. that absolutely jives what i've been hearing uh where, yeah. where i live where they you know they would get 500 applicants for an open position uh maybe five years ago and you know, or a thousand applicants and you know now they're lucky to get 50 applicants oh yeah for open no, because for people sure. don't, i, 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 I want to clarify
3: i want to clarify that the uh I don't think the applicant pool has dropped in quality on the average. You might have a lot of guys who are, you know, on the sharper side of things, leaving just because they can make more money elsewhere. But as a whole, I don't think that the applicant pool is getting worse. I just think that the departments are much, much more desperate for recruits. I mean, the – the retirement boom in police officers is fucking massive and that's you know one it's shifting demographics it's two how fucking awesome some police pensions are and (laughs) yeah there is definitely a uh
2: experience gap i mean there's a big issue with that too like i have uh i had a classmate of mine from high school who was rejected from every branch of the military because he scored so low on his ASVAB that as far as they were concerned, there was not a useful function in the military for which he could be trained. And the NYPD just hired him.
3: Awesome. You know, I love you know, that. Nothing I know awesome. more than a retarded police officer. <laughs> it's, it's like, well. I mean, you know, I, I,
1: I, I've met a couple of boiler techs and whole techs and, uh, <laughs> in my time. And whoo, if you can't, no, 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 uh, then, well, is it, true, story, true story. Sorry. I have a, a very good friend. Uh, who has turned out to be, in, in my opinion, a, an exceptional officer. Um, he failed the psych test his first go around, and, and at the time, my response was, that's not something you should get a mulligan on. Um, if you fail the psych test, you probably don't get to be a cop. Um, he's redeemed himself since, but it was it was crazy that... the. The, the recruitment process um, and, and, and where they drew the lines in the sand. Oh yeah.
3: Well I mean I uh, I'm pretty sure that I failed a poly once just because I wasn't going to admit to anything. The polygraph <laughs> test is literally designed uh, you, like you can read up on this. I, I, I'm, there's actually there's actually a lawyer in Chicago that just specializes in recruits that have been kicked off the hiring list because of polygraph exams or whatever. And it the the examiners are just these fucking assholes from the Cook County uh, Sheriff's Department that they grill. I, I I haven't met them personally. This is just stories I've heard. They just fucking grill people on. All sorts of things like, oh, are you sure you've never stolen anything? Did you ever grab candy from the store when you were eight years old? And, you know, I realize that sounds like a ridiculous parody. That's literally the shit that they ask. Or drug use. Are you sure you never used drugs or prescription medication after, you know, your whatever had weared out so you didn't have an active prescription? it's like man people are signing up throwing themselves your department's fucking desperate what do you not like these person these people because like i don't know it's a one recent example was because she was a black girl scholar fucking athlete at northwestern uh university she wants to become a cop you don't like that does that piss you off a little bit i mean jesus christ uh the the hiring process for police officers is so long, so convoluted, and can be trashed by incompetent or flat-out malicious people that it is completely fucked up, in my opinion. That's why you have it's so many re- shit cops. An re-
1: I, I would say the same for military intelligence. Uh, for the, the young animals listening, uh, in my opinion, the, the takeaway from this is, you know, don't lie to the investigator, for God's sakes. Um, but also realize that that investigator is, is not your friend and, and they don't have your best interest at heart.
2: Yeah, no, it's an impossible job. I mean, that's the other thing, too. Like, you're being asked to maintain your cool under ridiculous situations with very, very little training to begin with. And I think there's a lot of circumstances also where, you know, cops get involved And to be honest, like there really probably shouldn't be laws about such things to begin with. I mean, uh, most traffic stops for things like speeding. I feel like we could probably take care of that with like a camera or two here or there and, you know, worst comes to worse. Like, you know, that's basically it like drunk and erratic driving, I think is a different story, but like, you know, there's a lot of police encounters that put them at risk that I think are just not worth the ROI on that at all.
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, for fucking sure. I mean, the risk of injury to a third party during a chase, um, even a foot chase, not just a a pursuit in a vehicle. I mean, it's fucking absurd. Uh, Generally, you know, if you're in a position where you have discretion, (laughs) you're only going to chase the fucking uh, this is. Kind of endemic to the Chicago area. Well, I know it's present in the Chicago area. I don't know how it present it is for anyone else. You chase the guy who's doing 120 in a Dodge Hellcat going down the going down the road. A you do it because that guy's definitely gonna kill someone, you know, as uh, right. time series it approaches infinity. Second of all, because it's really fucking fun and everyone likes <laughs> calling out the bitch. <laughs> 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 no, back
2: hell yeah. <laughs> no, no, no I, I agree entirely. But like, I mean, the other problem too, is like, you know, with use of force, like, it gets really uh, dangerous because like how little training there is, like, for example, I have a lot of friends who are NYPD. And, you know, they were talking to me about how they train them to respond in situations where they have to use a gun. And those guys are trained to empty their Macs. Right. And you know, the, their aim is not great. I'm better than all of them and I'm a civilian. Okay, and and and, and so like the, the the fact that, but, but, but that's an issue though, because if you're apprehending a target, I mean like I, I know, because I have a lot of like you know, military friends too, like in the military and maybe Barbary can actually elaborate on this because you know he has more experience silverback as well. You know, I, I imagine they train you to be a little bit more accurate than that and on purpose. And it is possible to get people to be accurate with the proper training.
3: I mean, okay, it, it, well, it, it one depends. thing with the NYPD. Your, you guys go MRI. first, but I have a right. very special account about NYPD. There's an
0: interesting dichotomy uh, I find is – so for law enforcement, of course, Kami can chime in, is they use dum-dum rounds or hollow points, which listeners not familiar. hollow point expands on impact and tries to tumble inside the target. So it's less likely to go through and through and hit civilians or other crap behind target. Military, if they use dum-dum rounds – it's a war crime. You're going eleven worth.
1: So I mean, also, we refer to that as 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 over penetration. Um, over penetration. <laughs> well, when you so, put it like that, so we back. <laughs> no, I mean, if, if over- you if you have uh, a weapon in your home, you you need to be keenly aware that you know, drywall doesn't stop bullets. Um, I mean, a nice soft hollow point round. Um, Probably isn't going to leave the body of, of someone, uh, and, and so you, you need to be aware of that. But yeah, you know, in, in the mili- in in the military, uh, and you know, OX will correct me on this if I'm wrong. I'm sure uh, they still use you know full metal jacketed uh, yeah. ammunition uh, for like that range right ammo, reason. if you will. Not whole yeah, whole range time. ammo. No. You know the, the 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 crap the the cheap crap that you burn up at the range. And
0: different rules of engagement Cayman. You mentioned in Chicago, with the lockdowns, the National Guard coming in. It reminds me of Cancun. So any spring breakers in the last few years in Cancun, they know the federales patrol the beach at night. So the hotels don't want you going into the beach after sundown. They won't stop you. But then you got guys in camouflage and AK-47s patrolling the beach. Why isn't the local police? Well, it seems to be the local police can't be trusted. In the way that the Mexican military relatively could be trusted. So seeing like National Guard in DC or Chicago, I don't like it. I don't like when when law enforcement can't get that order that the military has to come in. I think it's a terrifying precedent to have uniformed soldiers in your neighborhood.
1: Well, yeah, how much of that is is optics to, you know, the local politician to say, see how serious I'm taking this versus uh, the actual effectiveness of, of, of local law enforcement.
0: Everything's uh, optics over back.
1: I'm old, but I'm, sure. I'm slowly figuring that out.
3: <clears throat> so um, I will not personally comment on the situation in Mexico and how it relates to the situation in Chicago. I consider the two... Instances sort of related, but a little bit of an apples and oranges situation. Um, Before going on to the NYPD anecdote, I do want to mention that when we use hollow point ammo, it is not to stop, I'm saying we, I mean police officers or even uh, concealed carry people we're not using hollow point ammo to stop penetration. We are using hollow point ammo because it is much more lethal than FMJ full metal jacket flat out. That is the single primary reason we're using that. And this is something that has been pretty well documented within the last 30 years since hollow points became widespread and reliable is that normal full metal jacket, pistol ammo is terribly ineffective at killing people fast. Most full metal jacket ammo, unless it hits a vital, it's going to kill you by exsanguination. You're just going to bleed to death. And that's not fast enough to stop a gunfight. So be 100% sure of this.
2: No, but my my concern when they get into this is not so much the nature of the rounds, but the volume of them. Like, you know, when I'm yeah, i mean I, i've done like a few rounds of training with, with some of my uh, sof friends and just just to make sure like i'm not like terrible with with my gun and like they always taught me to fire only like one or two rounds at my target right oh, and, so
1: if if i may and I'm, and i'm yeah, going to refer to, to, to mr cayman on this um because you know i was not combat arms i was intelligence but the volume of the rounds has to do with you stop when the threat is no longer a threat. You don't right. fire two shots and wait to happens. And you know, even when I'm talking with young Howler Monkey, um, if you get in a fight, you don't throw a punch and then see what happens. Uh, you keep punching until that person is 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 no longer a threat. Uh, and I think right. that has to, that has to do with the volume. That you're talking about. Well, no, um, no I'm, I'm going, going after from a if, different if a perspective. If it comes into my home, and, and I shoot them twelve times, and and, uh, and, a, and an attorney asks me why did I shoot them twelve times, the answer is because my pistol did not hold thirteen rounds.
3: Yeah, so I can actually speak to all of that. Um, just uh, want to say for the record that be under no false pretense. Cops use hollow point rounds because they're better at killing people than any other purpose. Uh, as for volume of fire, NYPD specifically, and you I'm only mentioning them because you mentioned them first. Right. The NYPD not only has a dog shit training program. Oh, for they're the their worst. Pistols, <laughs> they're the worst. But... Their firearms policy, this might have changed. Uh, I'm going on information that I was aware of in 2013, and uh, I can definitely do the research for this afterwards. Mm -hmm. Their firearms policy was written by some, uh, I'm not going to use the word SJW or woke, but some authority that had no firearms experience whatsoever. And they mandated the use of a, I believe, 15 pound trigger in their Glock sidearms. And I don't know if you guys have ever shot a double action revolver. That is hard as fuck to shoot accurately with. So I definitely think that the the NYPD's hit percentage of being like, you know, 2% out of every hundred rounds fired definitely mostly has to do with that. Than anything else. So, that volume of fire, all those bystanders getting hit specifically within New York and those surrounding areas, I think is a hell of a lot due to that policy and their piss poor
2: firearms training in general. Yeah, no, that, that's a real problem. And I, that, that's kind of the point I was trying to make before. I, I, I understand Silverback's point where he's saying that you have to keep fire until the threat's eliminated. But I mean, I I think if you actually have proper training, you can eliminate the threat with only a few shots. My my concern is that they get very scared when they start firing because they do not have the right training and they're not ready to actually shoot to kill. And they just empty their clip, right? Every single time. And the problem is the collateral damage from that is enormous. I mean, the number of people that I'm aware of that uh, have killed someone accidentally because of the complete lack of training in those kinds of situations and then they have to live with that afterwards too I mean that's just awful
3: oh yeah no definitely for sure and I will say that the situation with the NYPD is uh, definitely atypical of most police officers in the u.s I, I say most I can't say you know the vast majority um I am a combat footage, GoPro, police officer activity junkie. So I've seen a lot of shootings from Chicago cops, and I've seen a lot of shootings from New York City police officers, and there's just a fucking night and day difference. Like, there, there was a recent video of NYPD, like, guy pulled a gun at the top of the stairwell, the NYPD in a three-flat or whatever, narrow door, corridor, and you have all the NYPD cops a floor below and they must have put fucking 50 rounds into that guy in the backstop. I mean, it was just ridiculous. Yeah, police officers in Chicago, you know, getting indicted because they're too good with their guns. You know, you have the you have some kid spin around to drop a weapon and the cop sees it and nails the kid with a single headshot. So, I uh, I mean, I uh, I'm not praising Chicago Police Department. Uh, they definitely have their shortcomings, but compared to NYPD, they are they have much better, quote unquote, paramilitary paramilitary training than the NYPD for better or for worse.
2: Well, I mean, and the other problem too is that the average New York resident is completely unarmed, completely has no experience with firearms at all. I mean, to be honest, I wonder if a lot of the authoritarian tendencies out of New York have to do with just the the kind of population density that exists there. Right. Because like that by itself just breeds ridiculous policies that you have to impose just so people can coexist and then, you know, to be the kind of person has to enforce that. I mean, they, they just put these people in a ridiculous position at that point.
3: Yeah, you guys are the poster child for stop and frisk and all that
2: kind of bullshit. I mean... Hey, don't, <laughs> don't say you guys. I'm out. I'm out. I'm in Florida well, now. I, I, I got, I got, you, got shit. you. I got I bounced. I bounced. I did not want to be around there. You, you know, Michael Bloomberg?
3: I definitely know, you know, through podcasts, more people in New York City than I would probably know in any other scenario. So. uh yeah, no, it, it's it's a different world over there. And aside from the NYPD's veteran population, I my brain really struggles to think about the average non-veteran recruit to the NYPD, you know, being from the New York metro area. I mean, nobody has fucking guns unless they're from upstate up there. I mean, you get outside the Chicago city limits, fucking everyone owns guns.
0: Oh, yeah. You go to Gary, Indiana, Crown Point. You go buy all the guns you want, drive it back to state line.
3: Good to go. I spent uh, quite a lot of time in Gary, Indiana. I'm not going to elaborate I'm on sorry. that. I'm uh, sorry. <laughs> you are completely
2: correct. Listen, I'm, I'm speaking to you guys from the great state of Florida, where uh, my Lord and Savior, Ron DeSantis, has permitted me to have God awfully many firearms in my apartment right now. God,
3: I I don't know why I ever moved away from Florida. I I lived there
2: for like two two
3: years. Yeah. Eh, You know, life gets in the way. But definitely, look, I'll say this. If I ever put on a badge again, it's probably going to be in Florida.
2: Dude, you should come through. Florida's a great time. Okay. I I have literally everything. I bought an AR last week. Uh, Not that I didn't have one already, but I wanted one to match. You know, I, I have I have I have yeah, so, sometimes
3: you just get the itch. I mean, I, I know he's, to he's dual
2: wielding now, dude, I, I have I have an SKS that I keep for when shit really hits the fan because those motherfuckers never break. And I have a uh, I have a hundred round barrel mag that's like literally it's the most impractical thing in the world. But I just want to be able to fire forever and ever and ever and ever. Okay, and I have so much 7.62 that like, I could arm my whole freaking apartment building. I love it.
1: No, I mean, I, th- I think Damon made it, it, an absolute solid point uh, around, you know, young cops, young Leos, uh, who, especially in, in big cities, they, they have no firearm experience. Uh, there's a guy named Dick Couch, who is a great author. And, and one of the books he wrote was called Susponte uh, the Forging for, you know, of the Modern American Ranger, and, and I don't want to step on Mr. Oxen's toes while talking about this, but it, it, in that book, one of the things they talked about uh, was the challenge that the instructors had because they would have entire classes where no one had ever been in a fist fight in their entire life. And so, they, you know, they'd go out to the sandpit and basically have to teach these young kids how to get punched in the face. Uh, And and we're seeing that as a society of you've got people who've never been in a fist fight, never been punched in the face, never fired a rifle. uh, And and now they're being put in a a military or a law enforcement position. Um, And and I think it's to our detriment, to be honest.
2: It's a mess. Can you imagine like being in a fight if you've never taken a punch before? I mean, shoot, I, I can't speak to everybody else, but when young Sponge was, uh, was really uh, even more rambunctious than he currently is, I mean, I, I spent a bunch of years in Greece, and the kids there were, were pretty rough sometimes. So I used to get into fistfights very, very often. And, and thank God for that because, you know, it, I mean, it's the only way I learned some halfway decent self-defense. Everybody's oh, yeah. got a plan until you get punched in the face. Yeah,
3: yeah, for sure. I actually have a uh, a kind of unique theory on this. I mean, New York, notwithstanding, I th- <laughs> generally I think places that are really anti-gun or you know the legality of guns is much more restricted. You actually tend to get a lot of kids who you know if they're the little at, at the least the, the, a little bit athletically inclined. They like to punch the shit out of each other in their early twenties, because you know, you do that at a bar in Boston, you can be reasonably assured. No one's going to pull a gun and fucking kill your ass. The South side of Chicago, people don't get into fist fights for no fucking reason.
2: I tell you what though, they get pretty harsh on people. I mean, like when I was in high school and this is something that became a policy, I don't know if it's a policy everywhere, but it was a very popular policy in New York when I was in high school there. Um, they had a thing called like a zero tolerance policy for physical yep. violence, yep. which is yep, yep. W- 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 no, which is everywhere. really ridiculous, absolutely yeah, but, absurd. Because no, I because I, I used to get into fights, not because I didn't start any fights. I've literally never started a fight in my life, but you know what? I ended quite a few of them. You know, and, and then I get suspended for that, and it was it was no, absurd. It's,
1: no, it's yeah, absolutely yeah. a tough call. Uh, there's a, a, a older man now named Brandon um, that I owe an immense debt of gratitude to, um, because the seven in the seventh grade, he punched me dead in the mouth. And at that point I realized that, oh, you can't just run your mouth without consequences. Um, and when I complained to the teacher, the teacher looked at me and said, well, you deserved it because you were being a little jerk today. If, if that were to happen, that there would be that zero tolerance policy, where both Brandon and I would be suspended as opposed to Silverback spits a little blood in the sink and everyone goes on with their day. Uh, But I I learned a very valuable lesson that I'm genuinely concerned that young people like young Howlermonkey aren't going to learn today.
3: Yes. And it's not just, you know, because you're raised – the, the, this zero-tolerance policy against, you know, good-natured male aggression, all that, you know, minor shit like fights, whatever, it is uniquely a problem to, to the United States, and it is my suspicion that this lack of ability to, you know, be aggressive and hit dudes in the face unless you actually go out for training. The fact that you will be arrested and dragged through the criminal justice system if you defend yourself in a bar fight when you're a uh, dumbass college That's kid, absurd. That is probably feeding the, the fucking social dysfunction in America. Oh, 100%. I mean, guys have to brawl. It's
2: yeah, some
1: point, no, no, you're yeah, like, yeah, You just 100%. got 100%. Let, let, let kids... Let them fight. Um, you know, The best thing they can do at 10, 11, 12 years old is getting some fist fights because they're at an age where they're highly unlikely to do any serious long-term damage to somebody. Um, that changes when you're in your mid-20s. But you know what you it feels it. like to get hit in the face. Um, you know what it feels like to hit someone else yeah, uh, and you also realize that yeah, your your words have consequences. You can't just run your mouth and, and expect zero consequences. And and I think that's a valuable life skill for young men that uh, you know the kids in America, in, including young color monkey, uh, are, are are missing out on.
2: Yeah, and, and, that, and uh, zero is,
1: tolerance it, is, is is absolute bullshit. That is a school board. Uh, or a school administrator basically advocating any and all responsibility for for making intelligent decisions
3: yeah Yeah. for sure and it one more thing with the effects of you know getting into a fight when you're a kid or roughhousing shit like that you Mm -hmm. learn what it means to be physically hurt and by proxy of that you learn the empathy of what it must feel like to hurt another human being that is some shit that I think is probably lacking in this current generation.
2: No, it's it's a big problem. And I think the other thing that you get to is the ability to set your own boundaries. Cause as much as there's value to having someone else punch you in the face, there's actually a value to you sometimes punching someone else in the face. Right. I mean, I had this one kid when I was like nine or ten. Uh, when I was, I was in Greece, actually that. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I used to get like, I used to get bullied pretty severely because this was like way back. This is like back when uh, the U S actually just invaded Iraq and I was living in Greece and there was actually some, like pretty harsh anti-American sentiment. And so, because I you know, I had just moved from America, um, there were a lot of kids who were picking on me because I was American, which is like a weird thing for people in the United States to hear about. Um, but, uh, and, and a whole bunch of them used to try to beat me up all the time. And you know, at one point, you know, I, I just I had enough of it. I stopped running from them. I just beat the crap out of the leader, and, and that was the end of it. And then they, they left me alone after yeah. that. And I was able to solve. I learned how to solve my own problems that way. And I learned that I don't need to stand down to people who are being ridiculous to me. And I grew a spine because of that. And I think that has a lot of value. Oh, um,
1: one a thousand percent. Uh, you know, one of the things I talk about on my sub stacks is making yourself a hard target and you know there's ways to to visibly do that uh but at the end of the day punching the bully in the mouth is a very easy way to do it um you know we we joke about the jungle but the fact is the 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 jackal does not run on a lion he's looking for the old weak zebra who may or may not have their their face in their phone Um, and yeah if, 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 if you punch the bully in the mouth, you're, you're usually good to go. You might get an ass whooping, uh, but no good has ever come from giving the bully your lunch money. It, nothing's ever gotten better after that.
2: Absolutely. And we're, we're training a whole generation of people to think that because the problem is like they always teach the kids. It's not just zero tolerance. It's zero tolerance and you should just tell a teacher. So you're training a whole generation of people that actually the way to solve your problems is not to do anything yourself; it's to get your ass kicked and then hope for the godlike authority to show up and solve it for you. you Got to
3: step away, grab a beer, take a piss—not necessarily
2: in that order.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you do you. We're not going to judge. Uh, but no, but there's, oh, a, there's a blog out there. I think that you know probably most young guys have heard of it, called Art of Manliness.
2: Yeah, um, yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> and you know and and one of uh his posts i'm a, i'm a big fan he he writes very very well, even though I don't agree with hundred percent of what he said he writes very very well um he talked about the different types of societies, and one was a an an honor based society where it's it's all about you know basically legalized dueling right um but the other one was an, authority, uh, an authoritative-based society, which was, yeah, if someone picks on you or, or punches you in the mouth, you go and tell the teacher and you rely on a, a, a third-party authority to, to fix a problem for you. Um, and you know, while they both have pluses and minuses, uh, honor-based societies historically have tended to fare way, way better uh, long-term than the authoritative-based societies.
2: Yeah, no people who can actually stand up for themselves and learn to do that consistently become better people in every possible respect. I like, I feel like that's something that actually keeps men in line. And this is actually a really interesting thing when it comes to comparing the modes of conflict between men and women. Like well if you have two guys of some reasonable men are size, physical,
0: women are psychological warfare. Well,
2: that's the thing. Like if you if you have, no but the it's women more than that. Are way meaner. Yeah, you know, oh, yeah, women are, are worse because... Psychological ha- warfare. No, 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 no. because it's worse than that because it's not just psychological. It's that psychological warfare doesn't have an end point. Like, like between two guys at the end of the day, you know, conflict can escalate, escalate, escalate. At some point it gets physical and then someone wins and that's it, right? You know, and then, and then you can bury the hatchet eventually, right? But women don't have that at all. It just goes in circles. And the thing is they're training men to fight like women now.
1: No, no you're you're 100 percent correct and this this concerns uh me as an as an old age because i you know i have a son uh he, he's going through high school right now uh, uh and I, and right, I right in the gauntlet
0: yeah no,
2: it,
0: it, yeah barbary i i said right in the gauntlet your son right at that age oh yeah
1: oh yeah yeah we we, we joke about a gogi in our house um <laughs> And I completely lost my train of thought. Um,
0: yeah. They're training yeah. the, to, to fight like women, like psychological.
2: Yeah, it's just a real problem. Cause I've noticed this with a lot of guys recently. Have you, have you noticed Silverback? Maybe, maybe you can tell me about this. Cause like you, you've had more experience than me. Cause I've noticed that even just in the last few years, like that the kind of insults that people make are different. Like I have Like I have guys who like will insult me and say like, oh, you know, whatever you're doing, it's not a good look. Or like, you know, oh, why are you doing that? It's going to make you look fat or something. Like the comment on my looks a lot. Like the, 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 <laughs> whereas, like, previously. Like someone previous you of looking fat. Uh, wow. No. Um, no, 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 you're uh, a
0: pussy. Uh, like, when did that go out of fashion?
2: Yeah, no, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, if, if I was criticizing someone, I'd be calling you a loser, right? I'd be focusing on your competence. I'd be saying. Or, or, be like, or like, you're, like,
1: you're a pussy. It, right, it, exactly. You told me early on that this was an NC17
2: podcast. So I can No, please, yeah, You, you, you <laughs> go up to a guy, you say, you say everywhere. You're a, yeah, exactly. You say you're a pussy, you 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 know, you do, do whatever the fuck else, but you know, that's how you insult a man. You, you don't fucking go after him like he's some some little bitch, but like that that, that that's how people talk today. I'm serious. Yeah. I
1: I can't comment on that because I, I have to say that it's not an insulted. Um, well, like, I would not register. no. No one's ever levied an insult against my personal appearance. Probably because I look exactly how you would expect. Uh, if you, if you shaved an old silverback ape, that's pretty much how
2: you, I look. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but no, but, but for real though, like it's weird when when you see the uh, like I've had people that yeah. like criticize me and say like, oh, you, you look tired, or you you look old, and I'm like <laughs> like. <laughs> uh, like, i'm first off i'm 24 and i'm in decent shape but even if that wasn't the case okay uh, like what the hell is wrong with you that that's the thing you came up with like uh, like <laughs> that's i thought you got like throw uh, something uh, at me like that's, seriously like i'm worried what you going with it? all right Uh, uh, like like, for (laughs) god's sake i mean like i I, I had this happen a couple of times and i'm I'm just like i'm genuinely confused like i i just i don't get it but like this is what i'm saying it's always the same guys by the way who are following like like 1500 models on instagram too because like you have this this like category of like beta like 18 to 30 year old male who like follows like 100 models on instagram will like make those kinds of comments and they have all this like bizarre feminine energy. And I'm just like, I, I, I do not understand at all what the hell's going on I'm, with these
1: guys. I'm genuinely more concerned that you know who they're following on Instagram more than anything else. Um, <laughs> but that, yeah, I'm an old guy, so that's right. Uh i right.
3: I'm gonna dig into deep Gen X fucking web 1.0 blog territory here, but okay. a blog there was that I really I enjoyed. I the a little one. bit before my time, called The Last Psychiatrist. Yep. He said that the biggest thing with the rise of narcissism in the American culture was that we f- cannot feel guilt, only shame. So that way of insulting people is turned from you should feel guilty because you're an asshole has shifted you should feel ashamed because other people are going to think you're an asshole. Right,
2: right. No, they use that social that a- pressure.
0: So that's an interesting that uh, brilliant shame versus guilt because uh, a lot of art, art of Manliness, Rawl Tomasi, Rational Male. They talk about how shame and guilt. Men are driven by guilt. Women are driven by shame. There's
2: a there's a dichotomy. Yeah. No. But the problem is the men today are driven by shame. That's the thing. But but they yeah. shame, they shame each other. And, and like, yeah, aren't it's even even, I don't even. Yeah. It is absurd. Okay. No, it's not, like, not, but but my, it's a brilliant observation, and I, oh, I can't of, speak of to
1: to you know, Gen Y or Millennials. Uh, um, but, you know, one of the things that Barbary and I talked about earlier in this podcast was that there's this great dichotomy that happens, uh, or, or at least happened to me when I get older, sample size one, um, in that I've reached a stage where I'm, I'm probably more confident than I've ever been. Um, and if you're not, a friend or a close family member, I really don't give a shit what you think about me, um, and and that's almost been like a superpower uh, over the last ten years. Yeah, that's pretty uh, awesome. because it, it's allowed me to do so many things that, that I normally or you know young Silverback would not have ever done.
2: Yeah, absolutely. No, that, that makes a big difference because because it, it frees you. It frees you from that kind of bondage, right? And I, I think well, let me elaborate on what Cayman just said there. Okay, the, 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 you know that men feel guilt, and so in or Barbarossa was saying that. Uh, but but that, that we we transition certainly from from using guilt to to shame, and uh, also that men are driven by guilt and women are driven by shame. I think that we've oh, wow, I lost my train of thought. I pulled the silver back. Here we go.
0: <laughs> you should that feel ashamed yeah. that other people are bothered that you lost your train of thought. <laughs> well, no, I, I came back to it. I came back. No, I found it again. I found it. I found that it again.
1: Scotch. I don't know what your problem is.
2: <laughs> <laughs> a few too many, uh, few too many lagunitas. But uh, anyway, so um, no, no. no well, what I was, was going to say is that uh, shame is a response. To the, that kind of social pressure, whereas guilt is a response to responsibility, right? So guilt comes from you know having set out your responsibilities and actually trying to manifest them, right? Correct. And and it I, seems I, that I, that, I that, have
3: somehow failed in my role.
2: Exactly. Right. Exactly. I
3: have failed in my responsibility to other people.
2: Right. And whereas the shame is is just an entirely just flagellatory emotion to try to force conformity, right? It's a very authoritarian kind of thing. Like you know you use shame as a top-down means of controlling people, right? Whereas guilt is a mean is a way that you can control yourself, right? And so, I mean, I think that the 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 transition that came in started to uh, talk about there, is an extension of the overall recent transition towards more authoritarian systems that are really just trying to get you know invasive into people's lives and you know deprive them of that kind of internal self-control then that that would then lead you to feel somewhat I an mean, amount of guilt but also freedom from that kind of shame the way Silverback has managed to accomplish. Well you, uh, know, uh, you know part uh,
1: of I think part of that is just is just <clears> being old. Um, because there's, there, there is a, a, a dichotomy to that, in that, that well, I say I've, I've never been more confident. Um, and, you know, I, I, I know what I know. I know what I bring to the table. Um, if, if you're not a friend or a family member, I don't give a sh- really give a shit what you think. Uh, the flip side of that is I've really never been more humble in my entire life. Um, I am. Um, keenly, if not painfully aware of what I don't know uh, or Danny how much Craig I effect. can learn from you younger guys. Um, and so it's it, – it's, and God bless the jungle because I, I hadn't had that type of in, introspection uh, prior to talking with, with you uh, folks. But, yeah, no, it's, it's a weird dichotomy. I've never been more confident as an old guy – but I've also never been more humble. I'm, I'm keenly aware of what I don't know. I, I'm keenly aware that uh, you young folks, especially when you start talking about things like uh, decentralized finance, software as a service, coding, there, there's so much I have to learn. Um, and, and I think the, the goal is to reach that level of, of saying, no, I'm, I'm actually okay with where I'm at. I, I, I'm confident. I, I feel secure in what I've done, but also recognizing that I have a, so much more to
3: learn.
2: Don't we all? Yeah, no, and, and that's what makes you very, a really valuable member of the jungle of Silverback. I mean, you know, the, the fact that you can balance those things. I, it, it's, it's one of those really hard thing, lines to thread You know, because a lot of us here come in with some amount of confidence that we've already, you know, uh, already gained. Right. And, you know, to be able to interact well with everybody else. Right. You have to constantly like put it down and then also know when to bring it out uh, and how to bring it out in exactly the right way. Right. So that people will actually receive it. I mean, I think I was watching a podcast with Jocko Willink. Um, and one, of, one of the ways that he equals uh, freedom. yeah, yeah, absolutely, I love that guy. But one of the way, one of the ways cool. that he he uh, likened it was uh, that I think he was using a metaphor with like echo that of like throwing For, a football. Uh, forgive me, and I, I I don't
1: want to interrupt. I'm just who's talking right now.
2: Sponge uh, is talking.
1: All right, thank you. Sorry.
2: That's okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah. So I uh, he was using a metaphor with uh, with echo charles and he was talking about throwing the football and what he was saying was that you know if you're trying to pass information to somebody or give somebody some kind of you know advice or instruction you know it, you have to make sure you're not throwing it too hard or it's going to hurt their hands and at the same time you also have to make sure that uh you're not throwing it that softly or not at all right because then they'll fall short and they won't receive it so it's it's one of those really hard uh pieces of balance that you need to strike
3: Jordan Peterson said something pretty pretty similar to that. And uh, I believe it was one of his earlier Joe Rogan podcasts. He says you have to find that point of I think he I think he calls it proximal development, where you're in flow, you are stressing yourself just enough to build mastery and make progress, but not enough to burn yourself out, so that you you know you feel too sore the next day to work out, and then you're not you know doing whatever you need to be doing for
2: a week, and you fall behind. Yeah, absolutely. That definitely applies uh, to your your personal development too. And then he also, I think, made a comment in the same podcast about how you should attempt to even suggest those kinds of edits for others, where you focus on the smallest, the, the lowest level of analysis, the smallest possible change in behavior that would bring you closer to the behavior that you want with a person, and then change that, and then incrementally adjust them towards the overall behavior that you actually want out of them instead of just you know going full out and saying, oh, you're not doing the right thing. It's, uh, it's a lot better that way.
3: Absolutely. Everything is fucking inertia. I mean, it, in law enforcement, you deal with that on a daily basis. Okay. You, I need to get compliance out of you. You know, I can definitely control your behavior a little bit by offering stick or uh, offering carrot instead of the stick. I mean, 1% increases
2: over and over and over get
3: you where you want to go.
2: Right? Exactly. Right. Yeah, it's a lot cheaper than violence, for example, as a means of control, right? The, 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 and that's why I think, you know, for example, like, you know, just to relate this back to our larger situation now that, you know, people are relying a lot more on those incentives. Um, we're, we're like a lot, cl- if, if we, whatever we're in right now is approaching the dystopia, And I don't think that it totally is, but like part of it is, I guess, right. It's, it's very much more like brave new world-ish than it is, uh, like 1984, just because, uh, of the nature of the, um, of the incentives that are being used to control people, right. People are being controlled through pleasure, not through, not through pain, not through coercion as much.
3: For sure, everyone's going to die in a whimper, not in a blaze of glory.
0: Yep. What's to say we will not go quietly into the night, we're not go,
2: we're not a fight, but yet we
0: all die alone in the middle of the night
2: somehow. <laughs> I'll Speak for yourself, Barb. I ain't dying alone. Are you kidding me? But, uh, old Sponge is going to have a very rambunctious end. That much, I assure you. <laughs> Old old, old Spine is going to go out in a blaze of glory. Yeah, I'm going down swinging. Hell yeah, I'll drink to that. Uh, Hey, Silverback's back. What's up, man?
1: Hey, sorry about that. I'm I'm doing this on my phone and I tried to switch back and forth and just lost contact.
2: Yeah, good.
0: I uh, I appreciate this is a uh, well silverback coming on and and I reached out the sponge because you know when he pops in it it just spices things up when you get three way and then Cayman I don't know how you found it maybe the live stream but I was trying to like get Cayman on here and <laughs> the timing just kind of worked out.
3: Yeah man I uh, you sent me the message on Twitter and then I clicked it and I think it sent me to Facebook or something like that or oh uh, hell I no idea how
2: I found. It, so. <laughs> Wait, what? No, it wasn't supposed to send you to Facebook. It sounds you like you should a boomer stringer. thing yeah, to me. I don't, I don't have
0: Facebook, but if I, I apologize if I sent you to Facebook. I
2: no,
3: like it's I fine. I, to... I definitely just uh, clicked on like three different lives. Uh, no, no, to, no, um, guys.
2: No, Cayman's the Fed. Cayman's the Fed. Run, hi.
3: Exactly, exactly. Cayman is, Cayman into is not into my Um,
1: but there are uh, at least two folks that are, yeah, you. Using a very old playbook on Twitter, <laughs> hint, hint. Uh, damn. Oh,
0: All right. Uh, without further ado, I'll uh, wrap it up. On that, uh, yeah.
1: On that note, a-
0: a- any lasting, uh, <laughs> any lasting words uh, from the from the gray-haired silverback?
1: You know, um, yeah, actually. Um, if I make sense, you know, we're talking about this. You know, one, check out the Substack if you're interested. Uh, but more importantly, uh, for you young animals who are just beasts, and I'm, I'm in awe of you, 100% honest, uh, read everything you can. Uh, never stop learning. Uh, there was a great quote by General Mathis where he talked about how he was never – really surprised by anything because even if he hadn't experienced it personally, he'd read about it. Um, Bust your ass in your twenties and thirties. So you're able to relax a little bit in your forties. You're going to be absolutely shocked how your priorities change, especially once you get married and have kids Uh, in in your twenties, working uh, a 12 hour day is, is literally only working half time. Um, that said, you know, take care of your health. We're going to rely on, on Mr. Hawks for that. But I will confirm that it is a hell of a lot easier to stay in shape than it is to, to get back in shape the older you get. Uh, and, we, and with that, you know, yeah, yeah just, just thanks for listening. And I'm, I'm really grateful for this opportunity. Thanks for letting an old man play along. Absolutely. And uh, thanks for sharing
0: those playing card pictures. That's uh <laughs> <laughs> you'll play some Easter eggs. For sure. Like,
1: for yeah. Anyone who's interested, check out uh, Bowtie Barbary playing <laughs> cards. They are amazing. Um, I, I got a bunch. I'm going to be buying a bunch more there. They are going to be my stocking stuffers uh, for <laughs> yeah. 2021. you
2: right, see um, a,
0: a gorilla poker car lying around somewhere, you know you've been marked. Run. <laughs> Your OPSEC is no good. <laughs> so, I, I came in. Any uh, uh, parting words uh, kind of take away from
3: this uh, rambunctious conversation? Sure. All tasks and interactions with other people are easier for all parties involved when you put a smile on your face. Um, be pleasant. Be gentle with other people when you can. That's it
0: social dynamics or tax diplomacy. I love it. And that's coming from, I guess the police officers a salesman. In one way, shape or form. Awesome. There's uh sponge. Uh, Dude, yeah.
1: Do it. Do it. Do it. Came and tells you. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
2: that no, makes a big difference. It makes a big difference. I mean, well, uh, I don't know, man. We covered a lot of really awesome ground tonight. Yeah, I, I, I just, I just—it's—it's it's hard to summarize any of it. But you know, I just wanted to thank everybody for coming on here. Uh, you know, this, the, this whole uh, platform, the ability to to make these kinds of podcasts, I think, is going to revolutionize the way that we communicate as a jungle. Um, I, I wrote a Substack about how to make a podcast. And I highly recommend that, you know, anybody here and anybody listening just take a peek at that just in case. Because, you know, the more voices that we have that can speak effectively, I think uh will improve uh improve our ability to reach out to more people and to bring people around to being able to take control of their lives and live free lives. And I think that's what all of us are after. Bring the jungle to life. That's right. Awesome.
1: Hey, and thank you, Mr. Barbary, for, for bringing us all together. Uh, you know, your your work, your substacks on being a sovereign individual, on being independent, have been just so very valuable to to an old man. So, thank you for everything you do. Uh, I'm I'm so thrilled you guys are letting an old man play along. Uh, I'm learning so much from you guys. So, again, thank you again. Absolutely. Young Ape, Old Ape, we're all uh, relentless pursuit of freedom
0: one day at a time. All
1: right, gentlemen. Have a great evening. All right,
3: gentlemen. Yep, have a great night. Take care, partners.